morning, church family. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for making worship a priority this weekend. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. And as always, I want to give an extra special greeting to anyone who may be a guest with us today. We're so thrilled to welcome guests into our services. If you got a Bible, let me hear your pages turning to the Gospel of Luke and the very first chapter. Go to Luke chapter 1. And as you just heard, we are continuing our Searching for Christmas series this weekend. Uh, And uh, the idea behind this series is really pretty simple. It's easy to sometimes confuse the significance and the meaning of Christmas with superficial things. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago when I introduced this series by talking about how easy it has been in the past few years for some people to get all caught up in whether or not somebody says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays as their Christmas greeting. Now, just so you know, I always say Merry Christmas. That's the Christmas greeting that means the most to me, and that's the Christmas greeting I'm going to use, but I don't find the meaning or the significance of Christmas in the Christmas greeting, because the meaning of Christmas can only be found in Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. But here's what I want to do as we look at the second part of this series. I want to also tell you in this series that sometimes searching for Christmas can take us on a journey, and it can take us on a journey where we discover more than we were even looking for in the beginning. And I say that because when we step back and we take a look at some of the most familiar characters in the Christmas story, we see a journey of sorts that they went on that taught them some very important things and we can learn from their lives. But before we look at these stories, uh, these characters, because we always make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service, I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me. We're going to read the Scripture together today. Uh, We're going to be looking at many, many verses in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter this morning, but rather than use one of the passages for our public reading of Scripture time, we're going to use this familiar passage from the book of Isaiah. You follow along uh, with me. Let me hear your voices. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's talk about Mary. Let's talk about what we'll call the journey of Mary. I know we spent uh, the majority of our time last weekend talking about Mary during our special Christmas service, but let's talk about her a little bit more today. We meet Mary, as you know, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel visits her and tells her that she's going to have a son, and she's to give him the name Jesus. She says, or the angel says, rather, that he is going to be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. That's... Uh, one of the most familiar parts of the Christmas story. When we meet her, she's identified to us simply as a virgin who's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, I'm sure you know this, but being pledged to be married simply means that she was in the stage between the courtship 
and the marriage itself. She and Joseph had a legal binding agreement to get married. It was arranged by their parents, by their families. They were in a legal binding agreement to get married. They were legally bound to each other in a commitment, but the time had not come for them to live together, and the time had not come for them to consummate their marriage through sexual intimacy. They were pledged, but the wedding was still months away. Well, one day, when Mary was alone, the angel Gabriel shows up, and he says to her in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then Luke goes on to say in verse 9 that Mary was troubled by those words and wondered what that greeting meant. That shouldn't surprise us because it's not every day that you see her talk to an angel, unless you live at my house and I see and talk to an angel every single day. <laughs> but then Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, I think those are some significant words, more so than sometimes we give them credit for. Uh, there are a couple of different reasons why Gabriel said that. Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And the first one is obvious because Mary was startled and frightened by the presence of Gabriel. And just think about that for a moment. What would it be like to encounter an angel? Just let your mind go crazy for a moment and what that might be like, what the angel might look like and all of those things. And so it was a frightening experience. But beyond that, I also think those were significant words. Think about this with me for a moment. Because those were words that Mary was going to need to remember and cling to in the coming months and probably for the rest of her life. She was going to need to remember these words from the angel of God. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God because her journey with Jesus was just beginning. And then Gabriel gave the entire message. He said, beginning in verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary asked the obvious question, how can this be since I am a virgin? That's Luke chapter one and verse 34. And Gabriel explained that it would be the supernatural work of God. And then he said, as we know, and we talked about Last week in Luke 137, for nothing is impossible with God. And here's my guess, and this is just conjecture on my part. My guess is that at that moment, Mary may have remembered the specific words of a prophecy that are found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where the prophet says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel, of course, we know means God with us. And then Gabriel completed his message to Mary by telling her that her relative Elizabeth was also going to have a baby. And even though Elizabeth was well past the age of giving birth, she was in her sixth month of pregnancy, which was just another thing that Gabriel said to reinforce the truth that nothing is impossible with God. And the best part of the story was Mary's response in the end when she said in Luke 1:38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. What's the lesson that we can learn from this journey that began for Mary on what we think of as that first Christmas? I'm gonna say that it's this. When it comes 
to being used by God, and I, I want every one of us to personalize this. When it comes to being used by God, you're more qualified than you think. When it comes to being used by God, you're more qualified than you think. I don't know where you are in your life this Christmas. I don't know what dreams you might have in your life or what calling you might feel on your life. I don't know how God might use you in his plan to make a spiritual impact on your family or on your community that you live in or on the world that we live in. But I do know this, if God is calling you somehow in your life, if God is placing some kind of an open door or opportunity in front of you, if God has got you standing face to face with a ministry need, then you need to remember that you're more qualified than you think. Don't say no to God with whatever he might place in front of you because you're more qualified than you think you are. One of the most powerful lessons we see in Mary's life is that God can and will use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You could not have been more ordinary than Mary in the culture that she lived in. She was just a teenage peasant girl who had no aspirations in her life at all beyond getting married one day, taking care of her home and her husband and her children, her family. And yet God used her, this seemingly insignificant person, to be the mother of the Son of God, the earthly mother of the Savior. Maybe your attitude when it comes to God and any possibility he might have to use you to do something in this world today is, who am I? I'm a nobody. Why would God ever choose me? Why would God ever use me? And if that's the case, you're right. Because that's exactly the kind of people that God uses. You can study your Bible from cover to cover, and you can see that God uses ordinary people. I think about the story of Gideon in the book of Judges in the sixth chapter. And literally, you can go from cover to cover and see that God uses ordinary people. Let's just choose Gideon as an example. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of the book of Judges, but basically, in the book of Judges, tells the time in the, in the lives of God's people when they were in this terrible cycle of sin and rebellion against God, and then God would bring someone into their life, some enemy, some, some outsider into their lives to overthrow them and to punish them and to discipline them for their, for their sinfulness and their disobedience and their rejection of God and ultimately they'd get to a place in their lives where they would recognize that it was their sin that caused this situation they would cry out to God in repentance and he would raise somebody up to be a deliverer and the book of Judges tells us story after story of the different deliverers that are recorded there the most well known is Samson that's the one that most people are familiar with but Gideon has always been my favorite when God chose Gideon to be a judge the people of Israel were being pummeled by the Midianites pummeled I mean, they were being devastated by the Midianites. And when we first meet Gideon, he is threshing wheat in a wine press. And just to, I can't go into great detail about that, but let me just tell you, he was basically threshing wheat, trying to get some food for his family in a hole in the ground under hiding because the Midianites were so oppressive that they were taking absolutely everything the Israelites had. And he was hoping to thresh this wheat in, in hiding so that he could just provide some food for his family. And while he was in there, an angel of the Lord showed up. 
An angel of the Lord showed up, and this is what the angel said in Judges chapter 6 and verse 12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. How ironic is that? He's in hiding for fear that the Midianites would show up and take everything that he has. And the angel of God shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. It's an incredible situation and so ironic. And then the angel tells Gideon that God is going to use him to save Israel from the hand of Midian. And here's how Gideon responded in Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And I'm telling you today, that was the exact right thing for him to say. Because those are the kind of people that God uses. Ordinary people. Now, if Gideon would have put the wheat down and stepped aside and said, well, I've been wondering where you've been. <laughs> it's a, or it's about time. Or I can't believe it's taken this long or something like that. Then he would have not been the man that God would use as a judge to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites. Because God uses ordinary people. Just plain, ordinary people. And when God puts an opportunity in front of you, or God puts a calling on your life, or God confronts you with a need that someone needs to step up and meet, then you need to remind yourself in that moment, you're more qualified than you think you are. We learn that from the story of Mary, from her part of the Christmas story. I have two sisters. One is older than I and one is younger than I. My older sister is named Candy. She and I were in college together for a couple of years. And uh, she's always been very talented. She plays the piano and she sings and has a really pretty voice. And we used to sing together in college some. And when we were in college, and this was more than 40 years ago, well more than 40 years ago, she used to sing this song that you may or may have never heard of. It was called Ordinary People, and the first line goes like this, just ordinary people. God uses ordinary people, and he chooses people like you and me who are willing to do what he commands. God uses people who will give him all no matter how small your all may seem to you because little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. God uses ordinary people. And when God confronts you with a need, or when God places a desire on your heart with regard to service or something, or, or with regard to meeting a, an open need or walking through an open door, you're more qualified than you think you are. I'll never, forget, I'll never forget how in the early summer of, of 2001, I got a phone call one day from a man named Randy Thomas, who was the chairman of the elders here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church. He said, our church is looking for a new pastor, and we've got your name, and we wondered if you might be interested in talking to us about being our new pastor. And I was so happy and so content where I was, serving my church in Oklahoma. I was living in my hometown where I was born and raised. My family was there, not just my immediate family, but my mother, my brothers, one of my sisters. Uh, my children were very happy there. And I was so hesitant in the beginning. And I was hesitant, not just because I felt so at home where I was, but I was hesitant because I couldn't imagine myself being the person 
that God was going to use to lead this church because my church was a strong church. We have over a thousand every now and then, but not always. And this church was running over 2,000 at the time. It had this great reputation, this great uh, uh, ministry, this great uh, identity here in this community. And so it, uh, it, it, it took months. It took months of talking and uh, I said no. And then the guy called me back and said, we're not gonna take no for an answer. And then Sandy and I came to visit here one time in, in Cognito under the radar and in August, we just came for the weekend and we didn't really meet with anybody but the elders. We came to church. I sat right over here in this section with Sandy back when we had pews. And uh, uh, one of the guys on staff preached that weekend, preached a great message. And afterward, I said to the chairman of the elders, why don't you hire him to be your preacher? He's a great preacher. They didn't want him for whatever reason. That's not the person that God put on their radar. And uh, my problem, the biggest part of my problem was, was thinking, you know what, this, I'm not the right guy because they need somebody better than me. But let me tell you something. When God puts a calling on your heart, when God puts you in front of an open door opportunity, when God sets you apart to meet a need, one of the things you have to remember and we learned this from Mary and her journey to find the meaning and significance of Christmas is that you're more qualified than you think you are if you're humble enough to just say, here I am, God. Doesn't make any sense to me, but you use me in this moment, I'm willing. Let's talk about the, mer the journey of uh, a couple of characters named Elizabeth and Zechariah. And really, this is more of Elizabeth's journey, but let's talk about Elizabeth and Zechariah together. We also see their story in Luke chapter one. One of the things that Gabriel told Mary, as I said a moment ago, to reinforce the truth that nothing is impossible with God is that her relative Elizabeth, who had been childless her entire life, was also going to have a baby, and she was actually in her sixth month of pregnancy. Who was Elizabeth? It's hard to determine in the scriptures exactly who she was in terms of being a relative of Mary. She was either a distant cousin or she was a distant aunt who lived in the hill country near the city of Jerusalem. She was married to a man named Zachariah who was from the tribe of Aaron. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know what that means. Because he was a, somebody who was from the tribe of Aaron, he was a priest. All the descendants of Aaron were priests, and these priests had the responsibility of serving at the temple for one week every six months. How would you like to have a job like that, where you served, you worked for one week every six months? Huh? I think I might have some people on my staff who have a job like that. I'm not for sure. <laughs> Just kidding about that. And that week of service, or those two weeks of service, were the highlight of the year for those priests. Well, this was an especially meaningful year for Zechariah because, and I don't have time to explain how this worked, but uh, the lot fell on him on that particular year to be the one who not only served for uh, a couple of weeks at the temple throughout the year, but on one occasion to be the one who would enter the sanctuary of the temple before the morning sacrifice and burn incense in a prayer offering to God. And literally, this is how those guys would have viewed that. They would have viewed that as the chance or the opportunity of a lifetime, of a lifetime. Now, here's the thing about Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were both good people. They were both godly people. Luke chapter one and verse six says, both of them were upright in the sight of God. How would you like God to say that about you? That you were upright in his sight. 
powerful, powerful uh, testimony. But there was something missing in their lives. They were childless. And in the culture of the Bible, couples weren't childless by choice. And to make matters worse, childless couples in the culture of the Bible were often viewed with an eye of suspicion because not having children was considered to be a judgment or some form of discipline from God. Over the years, Zachariah and Elizabeth had prayed and prayed and prayed that they would have a family, but um, it never happened. And now they were beyond the age where people had children and they'd come to terms with the truth that it was not going to happen for them until that morning when Zachariah got the opportunity to go into the temple sanctuary and burn the incense as a prayer offering to God. Whenever the priest would do that, there would be people outside who were praying. And the custom was that after the priest was finished inside, he would come out and he would say a word of blessing offer a blessing over all the people. But on this morning, it was taking longer than usual and they were waiting and they were waiting and they're waiting. Well, here's why it took so long. Because while he was inside the temple uh, lighting the incense, an angel appeared to him. And you know who it was? It was the angel Gabriel. The same angel who months later would appear to Mary. And even though Zechariah was this man of God and who was probably more religious than I even have words to describe, the Bible says that when Gabriel appeared, he was overcome with fear. Luke 1, 11 and 12 says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Which, again, doesn't, shouldn't surprise us because no, you don't just see an angel every day and we can't even imagine what that might have been like. But also that leads me to have this thought. Do you think it's possible to sometimes get so caught up in our lives of faith in going through the motions of being religious that we're surprised or startled when God shows up in our life? That we can get so used to going to the routine of going to church and going to the Bible study and, and serving in the nursery once a month or whatever it is that we do, and we're into this routine and, and we're genuine about it, we're sincere about it, but then we're startled when God when we have a personal encounter with God of some kind, when God speaks to us in a personal way sometime in our hearts or when God moves in our lives. Well, when this happened in Luke chapter one and verse 13, Gabriel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to give him the name John, which by the way, you probably already know was John the Baptist. And here was Zechariah's response, Luke chapter 1 and verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. How can I know this is true? I'm old and my wife is really old. (laughs) Well, I'm going to paraphrase what Gabriel said in response because basically he said, okay, you want proof? I'll give you proof. You're not going to be able to open your mouth and say a word until the time the baby is born. How's that for you? How's that for proof? I preached a message, a Christmas message a few years ago on this passage called How Not to Talk to an Angel. (laughs) It was really good. Well, everything Gabriel said was happened, happened. When Zechariah walked out of the temple, he couldn't speak, and everyone knew he had some kind of experience with God. They just didn't know what the details were. And soon after that, Elizabeth became pregnant at her advanced age, and she had a remarkably different response. Uh, she said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, I share all that story about Zechariah and Elizabeth to say this. This was the Elizabeth that Mary went to visit after she got her message from Gabriel about being the mother of Jesus. The story begins in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. Now, remember, Mary knew about Elizabeth's condition that she was pregnant because Gabriel told her she was pregnant, but 
Elizabeth didn't know anything about Mary's condition. She didn't know Mary was pregnant. In fact, at this point in time, nobody knew Mary was pregnant, not even Joseph. Just Mary knew. Just between Mary and God at this point. But listen what happens when she goes to visit Elizabeth. I'm gonna start reading in verse 39 of Luke chapter one. This is what happened when Mary arrived at the home of Elizabeth. I'll put the words up on the screen. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is he who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, here's the lesson we learn in Zachariah and Elizabeth's journey, in particular, Elizabeth's journey to discover the significance and the meaning of Christmas. One of the best and most important roles that we can play in our lives of faith, whether it's at Christmas time or any other time of the year, is to encourage other people in their lives of faith. Let's think about Mary for a minute. She was fresh off this unbelievable encounter with the angel Gabriel where he said, you're going to be the earthly mother of the Son of God. And even though she responded by saying in Luke chapter one and verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, I would imagine that there was still at least some kind of trepidation in her, some little bit of anxiety, some uncertainty and insecurity about all that was getting ready to happen until she got to Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke words of confirmation and faith to her, or in other words, spoke words of encouragement to her about what God had set her apart to do and to be. You know, the fundamental meaning of the word encourage, whether you look at it from the Hebrew language, the Old Testament, or whether you look at it from the Greek language of the New Testament, the fundamental meaning of the word encouragement is to speak courage into someone's life. Zachariah and Elizabeth had experienced the presence of God in their lives and the work of God in their lives like they never had before when Elizabeth became pregnant. This was an unexpected way, but it put them in a position to know and understand that God really is a God who can accomplish anything. And as a result, Elizabeth was able to be used by God to confirm Gabriel's message to Mary and strengthen her faith for the future. What an incredible, but often overlooked part of the Christmas story. Here's the deal. Write this down somewhere or remember this in your heart. Everyone needs an Elizabeth in their life. Somebody say amen to that. It's hard to be a Christian. I think it's hard to be a Christian. And if you don't think it's hard to be a Christian, to be honest, I'm a little bit concerned about your faith in this moment. And we need people who will speak words of encouragement to us. And we need people who will speak words of confirmation to us. And we need people who will hold us up. Sometimes we have to hang on to other people's faith when our faith is wavering. Everyone needs an Elizabeth in their life and everyone needs to look for an opportunity to be an Elizabeth in someone else's life. Any doubt or uncertainty or insecurity Mary felt about Gabriel's message were put to rest by Elizabeth that day. And you know that's true because Mary goes on to say this in Luke 1, 46 and 47. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She knew. Now she knew that she knew that she knew 
what God had called her to do and who God had called her to be. She goes on to talk about the mercy of God and how it extends from generation to generation and how he opposes people who are arrogant and self-serving but lifts up the humble and fills people who are hungry with good things. Elizabeth, this was her role in the Christmas story, her most important role, at least in my mind. Elizabeth spoke the exact words that Mary needed to hear. And I'm gonna say this again. Everyone needs... There are times when everyone needs an Elizabeth in their life. And we all need to look for opportunities to be an Elizabeth in someone else's life. By speaking words of encouragement, by speaking words of courage into other people's lives. Let's talk about the journey of Joseph and we'll do this quickly. The Bible goes on to tell us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. And so what that means is when she returned to her home, there was no hiding her pregnancy. Everyone everyone would know it would be evident to Joseph and everyone else. And it would have been a scandal, a scandal in their community. The assumption would have been that she'd either broken custom and had intimacy with Joseph before the proper time or even worse that she had become intimate with someone other than Joseph and you can just imagine the hurt and the betrayal and the anger that Joseph felt according to the law he had every right to make a public accusation against Mary to hold her up to public scrutiny and to face not just difficult consequences but even the possibility of deadly consequences but he couldn't do it If you know the story of Joseph, and we're not in the Gospel of Luke to see his story, we're in Matthew chapter one. If you know the story, he couldn't do it. And so he decided that it was the best thing to do is just to divorce her quietly and then just go on with his life. But then one night, an angel appeared to him in a dream. This is Matthew chapter one, verses 20 and 21. And this is what we read. Joseph, son of David, this is what the angel said to him. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The fundamental meaning of the name Jesus is Jehovah saves. It's the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament name Joshua, which also means Jehovah saves. And you know the rest of the story. Joseph did exactly what the angel told him to do. He woke up and he married Mary. They picked up their life together with one divine modification. Together they raised the son of God. Now, most most Bible scholars believe that Joseph must have died at an early age because after a certain point, you don't read anything about Joseph again in the scriptures. You read about Mary. You read about the other children that Mary had with Joseph, but you don't read anything about Joseph and most believe that. And it was not uncommon. People didn't live... it wasn't uncommon. Men didn't often live long lives in Bible days. But he was there when he was needed to be there. And it would be easy to look at Joseph's life and say that his journey to finding the meaning and the significance of Christmas happened when he woke up and he did exactly what the angel told him to do. He took Mary as his wife. But I want to tell you today, that's not the case. Because Joseph's journey to discovering the meaning and the significance of Christmas happened a long time before that. I go to Matthew chapter 1 and I look at verse 19, which is the verse right before what we read a moment ago about the angel speaking to him in a dream. And Matthew 1.19 says, because Joseph was a righteous, everyone say righteous, righteous man. Maybe you have an older translation of the Bible and your Bible says because Joseph was a just man. Because Joseph was a righteous man, 
and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I mentioned this earlier. Joseph had options with regard to Mary. He could have caused Mary to face public disgrace and terrible consequences for being pregnant outside of the consummation of her marriage to him, but he chose to divorce her quietly because, Matthew tells us, because he was a righteous man. And here's what I want you to understand. Joseph made the decision. This is so important, friends. Joseph made the decision to be a righteous man a long time before Mary even came into his life. Sometime before then, before all of this drama, he came to a point where he decided he was going to be committed to being a righteous, right with God man. The word righteous in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word dikonos. And if you do a word study on it, you'd see it means all the things you think it would mean. It means upright. It means virtuous. It means keeping commands. But it also has the meaning of conforming to the will of God. As a righteous man, he was always going to conform to the will of God, always going to obey the will of God, always going to follow the will of God. And that's the righteousness we see in Joseph when after the angel told him to not be afraid to take Mary home as his wife because what is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit is that's exactly what he did. And he did it at great personal cost, friends, because even though Matthew 119 says that Joseph was a righteous man, listen to me. Once he took Mary as his wife in her condition of being pregnant, he would never be viewed by anyone else as a righteous man again except by God. Never. He's the guy who when he walked by, people whispered, that's the guy. That's the, that's the family. Those are the people. That's the baby. No one would ever view him as a righteous man again. Except for God. And how many of you knows that that's the only, know that that's the only one that matters? What God thinks of you is the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. And so the lesson we learned from Joseph and his journey is that he found the meaning and the significance of Christmas a long time before he met Mary and was pledged, pledged to be married to her because he found it in making a commitment to be a righteous man which put him in the position he needed to be in for God to use him as a part of his earthly family. Because when all, this, all of this happened and his life began to unravel in front of him, it was his righteousness that caused him to choose to be a man who would obey the will of God for his life no matter what the cost. And so I got a twofold encouragement for you this morning. If you've made the commitment to live a righteous life in your, in your life, if you've, if you've made that commitment at some point, then don't ever give up or don't ever waver on that commitment because it's that commitment that God will be looking for when it comes to the possibility of using you for something he has in mind for you. And the second thing is, if you haven't made that kind of commitment, if, you've, if, you, if, you're, just a nom, if you're just a nominal Christian, you're just kind of going through the motions, but when push comes to shove, you're gonna, you're gonna falter, then you need to make that commitment today. You need to not lose or waste another day before you decide that you will be someone who lives an upright life that is willing to do and follow the will of God, whatever it might be, no matter what the cost. So let's just remind ourselves 
of the lessons learned on the journey to discover or to search for the real meaning and significance of Christmas. Number one, when God puts an opportunity in front of you, you're more qualified than you think you are. Number two, everyone needs an Elizabeth in their life to speak courage into their life. And everyone needs to look for opportunities to be an Elizabeth who speaks courage into the lives of others. And maybe that's the best thing that you can do in this Christmas season. Maybe when you leave church today, this morning, maybe you can leave with this prayer on your heart. God, open the door for me to someone who needs to hear some words of encouragement, some words of courage for their life today. And number three, the commitments you make to God today can and will shape the opportunities and the challenges you face tomorrow. So make the right commitments. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to open up the Bible and talk about some of the most familiar parts of the Christmas story today and to receive a little bit of a challenge. I hope a little bit of a challenge. I hope a lot of a challenge on how we are to respond to the examples of people like Mary and Elizabeth and Joseph. And I wanna speak words of courage into anybody's heart today listening to me pray right now, whether they're here in person or online. I wanna remind them that God sees them, that God knows them, that God understands the struggles that they're going through in their life and the challenges they face, and God will always be with you. And God will not call you to something that he won't give you the strength to get through. God wants to use you in a powerful way, more powerful than you can even imagine. Help us to find the meaning and the significance of Christmas this year in understanding that we're more qualified than we think we are to whatever it is you have for us that we can, we can and need to speak words of courage into other people's lives and that the commitments and decisions we make today will shape our tomorrow. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 